What's up, Brewers fans? Welcome to the Barrel Banter. I'm here with David. David, welcome to the show. We're going to start off with today's meaningless stat, like we always do. Today's stat, Christian Yelich on the road versus the Reds this this year, 2022. 189 batting average, 351 slugging, not very good, which is unusual because normally Brewers hitters rake at American, or excuse me, Great American ballpark. But Yelich at home versus the Reds, 371 batting average and 571 slugging. Does he see the ball better at Miller Park against the Reds than he does in Cincinnati? Maybe. I think he hit for his cycle in Cincinnati this year, though. I know it was against the Reds. So either way, Yelich was a much better home performer versus the Reds. Should they only play him when they play the Reds at home (laughs) next year? Valid question. Might be something they want to consider. We are going to to, uh, do the trivia question at the start of the episode and then have the answer for you. But this time I will be reading the trivia question. How many Brewers executives have spent longer with the Brewers than David Stearns, who, of course, resigned this past week? We're going to be talking about Stearns' resignation pretty much throughout the whole episode. So today's trivia question is geared towards that. Again, how many Brewers executives have spent longer with the Brewers than David Stearns? And we'll see if Peter has that answer at the end of the episode. Yeah, and certainly we will get to breaking down the massive news, of course, that David Stearns resignation and the end of the Stearns era for the Brewers and the Brewers organization. Before we jump to that, we are going to do a name that Brewer quickly here. So uh, just as a refresher, for those of you that are new to the podcast, we've got five clues starting from difficult to easy to name that player. David, remember at the each uh, at the end of each clue, you will have one yes, and I won't uh, tell you whether you're right or wrong until the end, so that uh, our listeners can um, can guess along as they're listening. So, number one, this player had a 14-year major league career starting in 1995. Mark Loretta. Okay, guess number one, Mark Loretta. Number two. This player, five foot eight, one hundred seventy pound, second baseman. I'm gonna go with Jose Valentin. Okay, Jose Valentin, guest number two. Our third clue: This player was a two-time All-Star, neither of which for the Brewers. I'm gonna go with Ray Durham. Okay, Ray Durham. Number four: This player has two thousand over two thousand career hits and. Over 33 career baseball wins above replacement. I am once again going to go with (laughs) Ray Durham. All right. Sounds good. And our final clue here, this player ended his career with the 2008 Brewers. And uh, David, you've got it. Our answer to name that Brewer, Ray Durham, a player who ended his 14-year career with the Brewers in that partial year in 08, kind of stepped into a role with the Brewers uh, and, of course, playing some middle infield and a veteran guy that was probably a valuable piece in the clubhouse as well. I enjoyed his time with the Brewers. I remember, what was it? The Brewers block parties. I don't know if anybody mm-hmm. else remembers those mm-hmm. from 2008. I got a, got an autograph from him at, at the, a block party. I was, he was a really nice down to earth guy, at least at that event. So I always uh, think of uh, good memories when I think of Ray Durham, but he had a, a very, very, I think underrated MLB career and played um, primarily for the White Sox and Giants in the late nineties, early two thousands and was, kind of an under the radar, but very, very solid player. 
He was. Yeah, he, he's one of those players that you kind of forget about. But when you do look back, he, he had an excellent career. And definitely not remembered as a Brewer specifically. But I think he carved out a nice role for that 2008 team after they acquired him. Yeah, he did kind of, I guess the the best comparison I have reminds me of the Brewers acquisition of Hairston, Jerry Hairston in, in 2011, a similar veteran uh, in, infielder, middle infielder, I guess, infielder um, that joined the club uh, midseason. So there's our random player there or name that Brewer, Ray Durham today. So David, let's just jump right into this. Obviously, uh, it seems like we've got off-season topics and we keep getting interrupted with a with much more important and significant news that comes out. So, of course, David Stearns choosing to resign from his role with the Brewers, which now leaves Matt Arnold to be the top man in the Brewers' operations. What might this change uh, bring about for the Brewers, for their organization? Was it time for a change? Is this good for the Brewers? All the questions, your immediate reactions to this, David. My first reaction was, of course, one of great surprise when I saw it when our mom broke the news to us. I think really only, that was probably within five minutes of the initial news being broke. So I was in class, in my college class, um, and I, I looked at my phone to see the time and I saw text from her. I was like, oh, I wonder what it is. And that was not the, the text I was expecting from her. But it came as a great surprise, but it, it came as a significantly lower of it or less of a surprise than it would have if it came a year ago. I think coming off that great year last year was it would have been a shock to see Stearns resign going into 2022. It sounds like the move was kind of a, a couple of years in the making, but this seemed to be more of the time that 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 made a little bit more sense. Still, still a surprise was my initial reaction. I thought I wouldn't say that it was time for a change like Stearns should have left but I don't think that the timing is is as bad as it could have been in, in other times. I think if he would have left in 2020, left in 2018, or even last year, that would have left a big hole. And some question marks about why would you leave a team that has quite a lot going for it and not much that's really going against it. But that's not really the case anymore. They're coming off an 86-win year. There are plenty of holes. There could be issues with ownership. And it seems like that kind of might be what led to to the decision for Stearns, as well as wanting to spend time with family and and other other interests. Yeah, and and certainly Stearns caught a lot of slack this this past year, and I wonder how much that played into it as well, because we forget that each and every um, you know person in baseball, whether <clears throat> you know Mark Atanasio, um, GM's president of baseball operations, every person's still a human as well, and. I would imagine that this year probably wore on David Stearns a lot more. I mean, think about the Brewers' expectations going into the year. Obviously, a disappointing year, disappointing trade deadline. There there was a lot to not like this year, and a lot of the fingers get pointed at him. And imagine if you are David Stearns, and I don't know that this is a situation, but let's assume that it is. Um, let's go down kind of this, this uh, example of, let's say that Stearns wanted to be more aggressive at the deadline or wanted to spend more money in the offseason, and he had his hands tied, he was limited as to what he could do, the decisions he could make, the money he could spend, uh, then, you know, fingers get pointed at him, and he's also ultimately not the one with the final say. So I wonder if that that factors in, and like I said, as a human, if that were the case, or if that was even, if there's even a little bit of truth in that at all, I would imagine that would wear on him some. So that, that leaves the Brewers now with Matt Arnold 
in that key role for the Brewers. Stearns actually hired Arnold um, in the first uh, year, I believe that that Stearns was brought in. What do you what do you think about Matt Arnold and where what I guess what direction we we expect the Brewers organization to go? We know, of course, he's worked closely with David Stearns, and we've seen the style that Stearns has put into place and the culture he's built, but. Do you expect Arnold to continue that? Do you expect him to be more aggressive, less aggressive? What are your thoughts on that? Some of that we won't know until he has a season, two seasons under his belt, whether he's more aggressive or not. I think it it is interesting to see the change. And we've seen it happen before where teams that are good go from good to great when there's a significant change in leadership, whether at the head coaching position in basketball, maybe it's at the GM position. In, in baseball, or it could be at the manager position, even in baseball. We saw the the Mets significantly improve under Buck Showalter this year. But it is interesting because I think that, that, that it, it seems like Arnold is kind of under the same, cut from the same cloth as Stearns in that he seemingly avoided the questions he was asked about, about free agency, about player acquisition, about... Colton Wong's option. And he, he described the free agency this year as being opportunistic. So we'll see how he approaches it. It'll be interesting to see whether he adheres to the same strategy as Stearns in the bites of the apple analogy. But according to Stearns and Arnold, they're very similar. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I would, I would generally expect them to be relatively similar, judging by the fact that they've been together for six, seven years or so. And uh, you would assume that they've probably got similar philosophies. I'm sure there'll be some slight differences, but I would generally assume them to be similar. Um, but the the, th- the biggest thing that it comes back to is I just I just wonder what what impact the de- trade deadline had the Brewers' performance. Like, let's say the Brewers perform better. Let's say the Brewers win the division or even make the playoffs and make a, a little run in the playoffs. I wonder if that would have made a difference, or at what point Stearns already had decided he was done. Uh, maybe even it was before the deadline, maybe going into the year, the Brewers, uh, or I shouldn't say the Brewers, but Atanasio or, or whoever already knew that this change was either likely or um, eminent. But it's, I don't know, we'll probably never know. Um, but it, it is certainly an interesting time to see Stearns leave, but I would agree that it's not the worst. I know when we first heard about rumors of Stearns leaving for the Mets, what, what time frame was that? Was that 2018, 2019 time frame? I, th- I think it was not till 20 after 2020 or after 2021. Okay. It okay. wasn't until later. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, I think you were, you mentioned, was this the right time for him to go? Was it time for a change? You, you kind of aired on the, a little bit more on the side of, you know, he did some good things, but it was kind of time for a change. I, I don't necessarily know that it was, I think the Brewers were better as an organization with Stearns continuing to lead. Obviously we'll see what Arnold's able to do. It's hard to tell what kind of impact he's had previously when he's not the main person manning the ship. But I think that the Brewers were still, there was still a lot of hope to have uh, led by Stearns, but we'll see what happens. And and he still will have some, uh, I guess, impact on the team. How much we'll have no idea. Maybe he'll make a, maybe he'll talk to Arnold once in a while and maybe he'll have a more active role. Who knows? But I think it's fitting that we jump into some of the best and worst moves of David Stearns tenure. I think many of these will be, um, you'll be quite aware of, but we'll also be a good reminder of just how good some of these moves were and maybe just how bad uh, some were as well. We have to start with the good moves and let's start with a number five on the list and go five to one here. So 
David, you rank these for us. So number five, you had in David Stern's best moves, you had the 2018 signing of Lorenzo Kane. that great January day, Kane signing a five-year $80 million deal, uh, really becoming a staple of the Brewers organization there for some time. And of course, returning back to his hometown or not hometown, but original team. So um, you've got Kane signing number five. Any thoughts on that deal? I still remember that day I was at basketball practice and one of my friends who's a team manager had his phone with him and we were doing a drill. I was like probably the 10th or 11th guy on the roster. So I was sitting on the side and I get a tap on the shoulder from him behind me. Brewers got Yelich. And I'm like, what? Like I I was shocked because I didn't think that was actually going to happen. So later that day when I got home, I remember looking and uh, I was in a, a baseball group chat at the time. And I saw I was I was reading stuff about the Yellich trade, and then I see an alert: Brewers got Kane too. And I was I I could not believe it. I I didn't I didn't think that they, that they really would pull the plug on both of those moves in one day. So probably one of the better days of of being a Brewers fan all time, and one of definitely one of the more exciting times. Probably the biggest off season day in franchise history with the Brewers. I mean, I know it ended poorly uh, with his release this year. And he was overpaid, I would say, for the last couple of years of his contract. But they don't make it as far as they did in 2018 without the contributions of Kane. I mean, he was a top five player at the time in, in the National League. If you look at the five years he spent in Milwaukee, he still had solid numbers. 270 average, 344 on base. Power wasn't great, but you don't expect that to be. 63 steals. He scored 226 runs. And he won a gold glove in center and was one of the top two or three defensive center fielders in baseball, especially for those first couple of years. He gave what he had to the team. Think about that 2019 late season series. I think the last series of the year, he was so banged up and he was hobbling around on his, on his legs already. Then he slides into home and sprains his ankle against the catcher and then go robs, goes and robs a home run later in the game. It was one of the more one of the one of the one of the more valiant efforts that I've seen out of a player in that uh, in in that series for Lorenzo Cain, and I think that that's kind of the impact he left on the team. He went out, he gave what he had, and really gave what he had until he didn't didn't really have much of anything left. The Brewers would not be in the spot they are without Cain, even even with him being paid as much as he did. I think it was a move that was well worth it and definitely paid off. Yeah. I would I would agree that with that and not to mention the clubhouse value that a guy like Lorenzo Cain brings as well. So um, number four, you had a couple under the radar signings. Junior Guerra, who, of course, went on to become a Brewers opening day starter, had a couple decent seasons for the Brewers. Jesus Aguilera or Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Aguilar. <laughs> I pulled a Bob Costas there. Spent uh-huh. some time there. <laughs> He's been uh, rubbing off on me, I guess, watching watching too much playoff baseball with Bob Costas. Um, uh Guerra and Aguilar waiver claims uh, Brewer signing Hobie Milner um, and then the Peterson signing. I think it's probably the biggest out of those as far as under the radar um, deals. So that, that you kind of lump those under the radar deals as number four, number three, you had the Willie Adames trade in 2021, uh, a famous trade, I would say in Brewers baseball, of course, unfortunate the 21 Brewers weren't able to do more, but absolutely shifted the Brewers trajectory of that season acquiring Adames in exchange for Drew Rasmussen and J.P. Fireisen. 
share your thoughts, David, on, on that trade and, and how monumental that was for the Brewers organization. That turned that team from a pretty good team to a legitimate World Series contender at the time. And of course, they weren't able to quite repeat that this year. But I mean, they still would, they, they, they would not have been anywhere close to where they were without the contributions of Willie Adames, even though he did seem to take a little bit of a step back, especially offensively this year. It was one of those trades that benefited both teams. We think of it as kind of a one-sided trade because of the contributions of Adames, but it was still a gutsy trade. They traded two of the more talented arms that they had at the time, young, talented arms. Drew Rasmussen, since he went to Tampa Bay, and he's mostly been starting 38 starts, 10 relief appearances only, 205 innings at 272 ERA. So Rasmussen has been one of the better young pitchers in all of baseball. And J.P. Fireisen with the Rays, 61 innings as a reliever, 1.48 ERA. He was hurt for a while this year, but in the 24 innings he did pitch, no runs that he allowed, no earned runs. So it worked out for both sides, but definitely was a was a huge boost to the Brewers' offense. The whole the whole clubhouse seemed to come to life when when Willie Adames came over from Tampa Bay. They wouldn't have gotten as far as they did last year, and they wouldn't have been the team they were even this year with Adames coming in last year, 886 OPS, and this year it did drop, but he still had 30 home runs, nearly 100 RBIs and some solid defense at short. And for number three, we've got an early move back in 2015. Brewers acquiring young right-handed prospect Freddie Peralta um, in a deal that sent Adam Lind to the Mariners. Brewers getting three lottery ticket prospects, you might call them, and uh, cashing in on, of course, Freddie Peralta, the all-star right-hander that the Brewers now have. David, number three, we've got the Brewers' acquisition of Freddie Peralta. Yeah, that one at the time, I remember thinking, that's interesting. We'll see if that pans out. And Freddie Peralta was just 19 at the time. I remember I remember being asked my thoughts by my piano teacher at the time. What do you think about the Brewers trading their best hitter last year for three teenagers? And, of course, me being however old I was at the time was like, well, I, I don't know. They're young, but they're not that young. But now that I'm older than, than Freddie was at the time, I'm like, okay, I, I do kind of understand that a little bit. That one was one-sided, unlike the Adames trade. Lind was a below-average hitter in 2016 with the Mariners. And, and at first base, that's not really a player that brings any value to your team. And while it did take a few years for Freddie Peralta to make the majors, he still came in in, in 2018 at the age of 22, was about an average pitcher, and had a few okay years before breaking out last year at an ERA under three in 144 innings and was solid this year when he was healthy. Definitely a huge part of the Brewers' future in the rotation, one of the key parts of the team, and somebody that, that they wouldn't have gotten if they were unwilling to take the risk of going after a couple couple lottery tickets. And they, of course, hit that lottery in Freddie Peralta. Yeah, speaking of one-sided trades, course number one on the list, if you uh, couldn't already guess it at this point, it involved a 2018 acquisition from the Marlins, none other than Christian Yelich. Yelich was exchanged for Lewis Brinson, Ison Diaz, Monte Harris, Jordan Yamamoto. Um, yeah, I think as far as one-sided trades go, this uh, fits the bill quite quite well. So, David, just share some stats on uh, how one-sided this trade has been. 
Yeah, I would I would like to make the uh, note that I'm sorry I put Monte Harris in the uh, document. Harrison is the correct um, the correct name. So I guess that's just the theme of this segment, trying to really pull out your best Bob Costas. Um, yeah. he, he probably wouldn't have gotten any of those names right, though. Yelich since the trade, since they acquired him, 385 on base percentage, 503 slugging, over 100 home runs, almost 100 steals, 633 hits in 606 games. He's been, I mean, even though the last couple of years have not been great, he's still been probably a top 10 hitter in the National League since that trade. Of course, he won the MVP in 18, runner up to the MVP in 19, and probably would have won it had he not been injured. Two-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger. And, well, yeah, now the contract is kind of an albatross to the Brewers. He still provided immense value in 18 and 19. They would not have made the playoffs without him. And even now, I mean, he still contributes. He still had a solid year. He was a solid player, if not $26 million worth. The prospects since the trade, Lewis Brinson, Isan Diaz, and Monte Harrison have combined to hit 196 in almost 2,000 plate appearances, 316 slugging. So none of them really have, have panned out. Brinson was with Miami for a while. He gave, he got, I think, about three years of playing time as a starting center fielder and just never put it together. Isan Diaz was given about a season's worth of playing time in Miami and now is in the Giants organization, but has yet to stick in the big leagues. Monte Harrison was striking out about 40% of the time in AAA. So he he really is just at best a, a defensive replacement, pinch runner kind of guy at this point. And Yamamoto's a depth a depth relief arm. So none of the none of the prospects panning out, uh, much to the surprise I think of the baseball world. That was a, a pretty solid prospect package at the time. I remember Brewer fans being really hesitant. A lot of prospect huggers in Brewers Twitter, and and that's okay. But of course that move ended up panning out extremely well for the Brewers might've been among the most lopsided trades really of all time. Yeah, honestly. And and if you are a prospect hugger, hang on here. End of the podcast, we'll have a, uh, some, some fun uh, prospect talk, I guess, briefly. So no offense to those prospect huggers out there. Plus you, you mentioned Bob Costas while we're on the topic. I, we, we uh, certainly all saw the, uh, the Bob Costas performance, the playoffs, but uh, I, I will say ran into him one time, in Cooperstown, David, we were kids when we ran into him and definitely one of the nicest guys, literally, which is what's cool about Cooperstown. You just, you were literally walking in a parking lot and you just happened to run into Bob Costas and took pictures, um, super down to earth guy. So, uh, I guess I, I feel like I, I feel like I owe him to say mm-hmm. that after we, uh, after we make fun of the I, great Bob Costas. I agree. I was also his, the same height as him when I was 12, when we met. That's true. I, I was, I, I was going to end on a positive note, but. I, yeah. yeah well, I, I, I still, I, I had a little bit more to add, so we could add end on a positive note. I'm not sure if you remember this, but we, uh, we, we like we talked with him because I remember walking past him, and my dad's like, "You know, that's Bob Costas, David, right?" And I was the youngest one, so I'm like, "Like, really? Like, I, I didn't realize it was him." He's like, "Well, if you wanna, if you wanna ask for his autograph or take a picture, you could, you could go back and ask him." So I ran back, probably not very fast. Um, <laughs> for those who knew me when I was 12, you'd, you'd understand. Uh, and I, and I asked him, so he was nice. He, he signed my ball, took a picture with him. Uh, and then my dad went out to shake his hand, but he didn't see my dad, uh, my dad go out to shake his hand. 
So he left. And then after about 10 seconds, maybe he was with, I think his wife and one other person. And my dad was wearing, or our dad was wearing a Paul Molitor shirt. And he looks back and says, Mr. Molitor, Mr. Molitor. And my dad like looks down, realizes that he's Mr. Molitor in this scenario. And he said, my wife told me that I, you, you, you went out to shake my hand and I, I didn't see your hand. So I just wanted to shake your hand. And he came back to do that. And I thought that that spoke a lot. How many yeah. celebrities would do that? If I were a celebrity, I probably would not have done that. But but Bob Costas did. So, well, he may be a little bit maybe past his prime in, in broadcasting or uh, maybe there are other better options that are out there. He was a, a class act when we did meet him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, that, that story still rings true in my head. And I, I remember that. And every time I see him on TV, that story comes to mind. Um, it, it's one of those, just like you said, definitely didn't have to do that and went out of his way. So quick uh, side tangent there. We'll, we'll circle back to David Stearns and, and now the, the bad, which of course, we are probably well aware of a couple of the moves. Uh, David's representing them, one of those today as well, which we'll get to. Uh, we we start with an honorable mention here, and then we'll go to the top three worst signings. Honorable mention, Jackie Bradley Jr. signing a two-year $24 million deal. That was, um, of course, entering into the 21 season. I have to say I was I was excited about that deal. I, I had pretty high hopes for a, I guess I'd call mid-sized deal there, $12 million a year for for JBJ. I, and I expected him to be a decent contributor. We all know, of course, he wasn't. Um, and, and Brewers got the best, of course, in in the deal and in, in flipping him after the 21 season and getting Hunter Renfro back, which is it's almost a little ironic that we have the JBJ signing as one of an honorable mention for one of his worst. Uh, we don't actually even have the Hunter Renfro in the top five, yeah. which does tell you, I mean, th- what, what Stearns did, that, that Renfro flip, that, that's a, that's a, very, very good move, and it mm-hmm. didn't even crack the top five in mm-hmm. just a you know tenure that that last you know started in 2015 and, and just recently ended. Mm-hmm. And partly why I I said JBJ is only an honorable mention is because Stearns redeemed that move by by flipping him for Renfro. Yeah, I would say more than more than redeemed probably. Um, but let's start number three. Uh, some beloved names here coming up. We've got Jonathan Scope. Uh, Brewers acquired him in 2018, giving up Jonathan VR, Luis Ortiz. Gene Carmona that's sending them uh, that package for Scope. Scope, of course, David, you posted that uh, highlight video of Jonathan Scope with the Brewers. And uh, how many, it was a long video, correct? How, how many How many different uh, plays did you have on that? I don't know how, oh, I don't know how many highlights he actually did have, but all I remember is that he hit the Grand Slam. So he hit the Grand Slam off Madison Bumgarner that one time. I don't remember really when it was, but at some point during his Brewers time. (laughs) And that's really all that matters. He also, there was like one other hit that he got in, I think it was game 161 or 162. Yeah. Against, I don't even remember who they were playing now. Oh, Tigers, I think. Um, And I guess now is his current team. But so I guess maybe there, maybe there are two highlights. I, I only put one in the highlight video. There was just, not enough room to put more than one, <laughs> I guess, for yeah. scope. He hit he hit two oh two with a two forty six on base percentage with the Brewers, forty six games. Um my favorite story might be that um our dad knows someone who works in the Brewers organization and she said that he 
called a meeting after like a week or two of scope struggling and was like, guys, just be patient with scope. He's probably adjusting. He's a much better player than this. Then I think another week or two passed and in the meeting, he said the same thing, like be patient. He'll figure things out. And then at the next one, about a week or two later, he said, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe he is really not good and not going to put it together for us. And of course he didn't. They made the probably right move to non-tender him and move on from him after that 2018 season. And, Nobody really ended up panning out in the, 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 the side for Baltimore, but VR significantly outperformed him even in that second half. It would have been better off with VR. So, oh, well, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, kind of one of those, oh, well, trades. Not very much like our number two on worst moves, which is interesting to say. I mean, this is our, our listed as a number two worst move, but it is a little bit of an incomplete trade as well. If you think about Josh Hader, Going to the Padres, uh, struggling a little bit there with them, um, continuing the struggle. But then, of course, turning things around, unlike Taylor Rogers, Brewers, uh, DFAing Denelson Lamette, and then the Brewers, two prospects, of course, Robert Gasser and Astori Ruiz, who are still to be determined, I guess, what, what kind of performance we get out of them. So I almost would say this trade's incomplete, but I totally understand why it's in uh, the worst trade. David, we've obviously talked about this trade uh, plenty of times for a good length of time on the podcast. So I'm not sure that we, we need to share too much more on the Josh Hader trade or the impact it had on the 22 season. So I'll jump to number one here, and then I'll let you uh, pick uh, whichever of the two you'd like to share. But number one, like I said, you're representing today. Uh, David, your worst move in the David Stearns era that you had was the trade the Brewers sending Tristan Peterson, outfield prospect, for Trevor Rosenthal, who unfortunately did not pick up a baseball for the Brewers. So that's who you have as number one, as the worst move in the David Stearns era. That's correct. And it may, it, it may have been a worse move to trade hater in the implications it had on the 2022 season, but I felt like there's presumably more value coming back. And the 2020, excuse me, the, both the trades that happened in, in 22, the, the Rosenthal one and the Hater trade, while both being bad, the Rosenthal one I think made a lot less sense than the Hater trade did. They could have signed Rosenthal theoretically a couple weeks prior. They didn't. And then they gave up a mid-level prospect, somebody who could easily carve out a role at the major leagues at some point. And they gave it up for a reliever that they were expected to have for a month. And then he got hurt again and didn't end up pitching. We've talked about before how the Rosenthal trade didn't pan out, but that one, while the the consequences might not be as big as some other missed moves, I think it it just thinking through the process of the move might be the most questionable part of why would you have made that trade in the first place? And then, of course, him re-injuring himself on his rehab assignment just makes things even worse. So in honor of that move, yes, I am wearing a Trevor Rosenthal shirt. Um, I don't know. I don't know how well you can see it in the video. There you go. There we go. We you, got it. You bought it, it for me that. as a gift. Yes. It was at the top of my Christmas list. And so you decided to buy it early for me because the team store probably, they, they were, I think, preparing to sell Trevor Rosenthal shirts, but just weren't able to. Uh, and so they'll, they'll probably be on sale for $23 or something at the <laughs> at the clubhouse sale if Give they were taking any so yeah right so yeah we we decided decided to uh get one before then but 
that one will go down as the worst move. And by the way, Trevor Rosenthal is like seventh among active pitchers and saves, which I didn't realize. Yeah, but I know. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good career so far, just not Brewer's career. Yes, absolutely. And a, and a very unfortunate, of course, way for Stearns to end. Like you said, as far as worst moves, I think it's different if you ask worse or influential or it's a little bit different. But in a just purely looking at move by move, I felt like the Rosenthal move, there there was just no way to 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 comprehend why that move would have ever made sense. And we had uh, David Gasper uh, from reviewing the the brew on the podcast uh, just after that trade. I, I can I just remember him going off on that uh, and he just could not fathom what the Brewers were thinking in that um, situation. And like you said, consequences is Tristan Peters going to become, you know, an everyday outfielder, probably not super likely, uh, but regardless, we're, we still gave up prospect talent for the hopes of a one month uh, of, of a reliever. So I don't know where we'll, uh, we'll let that one go and move on to final topic here. Uh, looking at David Stearns more on the positive note and the legacy that he leaves as one of the Brewers' best general managers or president of baseball operations in franchise history. David, you mentioned Harry Dalton um, before the podcast uh, in his time. Dalton, of course, a GM for the Brewers from 78 to 92. A couple other notable GMs, Sal Bando from 91 to 99, and uh, a familiar name to all of us, I'm sure, Doug Melvin from 02 to 2015. I guess I'll just start by posing the question, David. Is David Stearns the best general manager in, in franchise history? I think he's number two. I think Harry Dalton is still number one. It's close. You could make the case for Stearns, but I'll let you say if if you believe Stearns is the best, and then then we can debate, discuss. Yeah, that sounds good. And I I would agree. Um, I think that what Stearns did, you know, when you think about what the where the Brewers were when he took over, to of course where they are as he leaves, um, he did a lot for the Brewers besides the Brewers' many playoff appearances. But when I, I think of, of Harry Dalton in his tenure from 78 to 92, think about where the Brewers were in 78 and the 1970s era that, that he was taking over. Probably not all that different, um, you could say, from the Brewers' 2015. So there was actually a lot of comparison when I was looking at Dalton's beginning in 78 and Stearns um, entering the scene with the Brewers. So some similarities there. And then Dalton, of course, able to turn things around in the early 80s and through the mid-80s even a little bit, um, but obviously had a good run with the Brewers, had a longer tenure with the Brewers as well, 15 years with the Brewers, so that does uh, matter. Um, so I would say I would agree with you that I do think that Stearns is number two because if you look at you know Sal Bando, who was a GM through the 90s, not a lot of notable things happened in the 90s, weren't very successful. Doug Melvin, 02 to 2015, pretty long tenure, of course, as GM, and was part of that 08 team uh, 2012. So uh, Doug Melvin did certainly do some things for the Brewers, get them back in the playoffs. He, I would say he turned the franchise around as well. Um, so he, he did have a lot of influence, but I would probably go Dalton, Stearns, Melvin, uh, Bando of those four. Um, one one thing I thought was interesting that, that um, you had mentioned is we look at uh, the playoff appearances. Of course, Stearns had, had many, but we also forget that the playoff structure has changed and it was very different. Uh, I, I think you had some, some stat uh, about the number of appearances that the Brewers would have had in the Dalton era had, had there been a, a more similar playoff structure to now. Well, if, I mean, if you think about it now, well, now it's six, but for most of Stern's tenure, it was five that made the playoffs. And for 2020, it was eight. 
So of course, of course, Stearns was only the top executive for seven years, six full seasons. Dalton was for 14 and 13 full seasons. Um, if you, if you take out 81 with the strike shortened year, but because there were only two teams making the playoffs in all those years, it's easy to say, well, Stearns led his team to the playoffs, but Dalton did not. But if it had been the top five teams per league during his tenure that made the playoffs, Dalton's teams would have made the playoffs every year from 78 to 82, as well as 1987 and 88. So that's seven playoff appearances out of the 14 seasons that, that Dalton was the general manager. And I didn't realize it, but in 78, they won, I think it was 92 games. They won 95 games in 79. They won 90 plus in 1980. 81 in the strike-shortened year, they they won half of the AL East. I forget. I think it was the second half. 82, of course, were well acquainted with. And 90 plus wins again in 87, and 88 was around there. So it's a little bit skewed when you think about the 89 win Brewers in 2019 making the playoffs, but maybe the 1979 Brewers that won 95 games did not make the playoffs. I think it's important to look at the context. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the legacy David Stearns leave, it, it, it certainly is looking at the organization as it was when he took over and then where they are today. Very, very different organization competitively. Uh, even if you look at it for Mark Atanasio, obviously the value of the organization, I would imagine, has increased very, very significantly, if you think about the, kind of the, the sputtering 2015 Brewers or 2016 as well, um, to where the Brewers organization is. And, and I think that the culture has changed as well. The culture has changed for Brewers fans. I mean, think about our expectations of the Brewers now versus they were before. And of course, we've got more talent, but I think there's a winning culture and an expectation to compete for the Brewers that I don't think was necessarily there in 2015 and 2016. So I, I think um, certainly goes down as one of the most influential non-players in Brewers history, um, I guess you could maybe even say top five, top 10 um, non-players in influencing the organization. And we'll see what the next steps are for him on his career in baseball, whether it will be a, a role with the Mets or another team, or if we'll see him take some extended time away from the game. I, I'm, I am intrigued to see what the next move is uh, purely because I also wonder, you know, of course, as Brewer fans, why, why leave now? Uh, of course, one year still left on the contract of Stern. So I think we'll close the book there on David Stearns. I'm sure we'll revisit it a little bit more throughout the off season um, and, and continue to see how the Brewers just decision strategy changes, if at all in the off season, but let's close out today, David, with our fact or fiction for those prospect huggers. I promised uh, a final segment here. So we've got again, five factor fictions. We go rapid fire on these, um, so number one here, David, Sal Freelich will be on the opening day roster. Fiction, but I think it, I think that he'll be on the roster at some point in the first half. Okay. I'm, I'm going to say fiction as well. I was going to say, I, I expect him to be on the roster at some point next year, but maybe even the first half we'll see. I think at some point in the year, we, we see Sal Freelich, uh, debut and I'm excited for that. I'm excited for Freelich. Excited for a couple other of these names as well. Number two, a player we, of course, already saw this year in his debut and had a pretty good showing overall, Garrett Mitchell. Number two, Garrett Mitchell is the long-term answer in center field. This is a good one, David. What do you think? What do you think? I think fiction. I think he's a he's a nice player, but I think I think long-term he's a fringe starter in the outfield. 
maybe maybe you will start pretty weak for a starter. It's a very good backup. I think that actually the Brewers might be better off trading him and maximizing his value with some of the other outfielders coming up. Interesting. For now, I'm going to go fact. I, I don't necessarily see who the Brewers, um, well, they've obviously got some prospects potentially, but I, I'm not sure that any of those players fit into center field at the major league level. Um, so I'm going to say fact for now. I, I agree. Mitchell's not going to be the 300 hitter that he was in a short season this year, but I think that for now, I would consider him the answer in center field. Number three, a name that everybody is familiar with, Jackson Churio. Jackson Churio will debut in 2023. I'm going to go fiction, but I think that he makes the opening day roster in 2024. Okay, you heard it here first. And I'm going to go fiction as well. I don't believe that we'll see Churio yet in 23. Always have to be careful, of course, not to rush prospects, especially when you get excited with a guy like Jackson Churio and just how young he is. Um, there's still plenty of time, and um, the Brewers have several outfield prospects already. We've still got Hunter Renfro and Christian Yelich. I mean, you think about the Brewers' depth in the outfield, of course, with those two corner guys and Mitchell returning. Um, you'd expect, I guess, those three to be your opening day starters, barring any changes uh, during the off season, but likely you've got those three already. Maybe you see Sal Freelich on the opening day roster, a name, Joey Weimer, who we have next here uh, as well, maybe coming up shortly. So Joey Weimer will replace Hunter Renfro in right field long-term. I'm going to go fact. I think Weimer, I, I was not too bullish on him, but after seeing him really make adjustments and, and start to turn things around, and AAA later on in the year, I became more of a believer in Weimer. Renfro's got one year left on his uh, team control and arbitration. So I think after this year, Weimer's going to come up. He had an 888 OPS in 43 games in AAA. So I think he's the long-term answer and right. I really hope Weimer is. I'm going to go fiction on this. I'm not sold on Weimer yet. I'm a little bit concerned of what the Brewers will, will do after Renfro's uh, contract expires here at the end of this year. I don't think that we'll see Renfro return. I would expect, you know, maybe Avisayel Garcia esque contract after um, next year, assuming he has a pretty solid year, even if it, it, even if it was a slight regression from his performance this year. Would, it, would you say it's a fair characterization that that Renfro would get something like Garcia money after next year if he puts up a similar year? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, valuable guy, and I don't know that the Brewers would pay the price for a guy like Renfro. So they'll rely on their prospects and who knows? I mean, if we, I, the, the Mitchell Weimer Freelick reminds me a little bit of Burns Woodruff Peralta and not to say that those, those three are going to be um, superstar outfielders, but more so that we've got, we've got three guys. So I think, like I said, years ago, I, I hopefully one of those guys becomes a solid everyday starter. Uh, maybe one becomes a fourth outfielder or a, a fringe starter and, and maybe one doesn't really pan out. That'd be a win, I think, if you look at those three prospects. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm certainly hoping that one of those happens. And then, of course, you've got the wild card of, of maybe not even a wild card, but Jackson Churio coming down the shoot at yeah. some point. Well, it, it's the best outfield that the future Brewers have since since the the Lewis Brinson, Corey Ray, Trent Clark, Brett Phillips outfield. That Tyrone Taylor. Supposed to have. Come on. Oh, true. Put Taylor in there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I guess Taylor is the only one who, who really, well, Phillips, Phillips carved out at least a role. Yeah, but no, you're right. I mean, think back, you think about what, how we were feeling as Brewers fans with the prospects that we had in the outfield, like you said, Brinson, Ray Phillips, like we were talking about 
hopefully, you know, one of those guys becomes a perennial all-star and a, and a starter and then maybe a bench guy. And you thought there's no way that with, you know, the, the talent and even, even some of those guys like Ray, who you felt like didn't have much downside or even Phillips, I might even throw in that category. Um, so we never know with prospects is always obviously um, a little bit of a, of a guess and a bet. We'll see what happens, but Brewers certainly have a plethora of outfield prospects. So number five here, final one on the pitching side, Robert Gasser or Ethan Small will be in the rotation by the end of 2023. I think Robert Gasser will, but I don't think Ethan Small will. So I guess that would be a fact. <laughs> um, Gasser really had a nice year in 2022, especially after they acquired him. He was pitching in, in high A ball before they acquired him and had a 418 ERA in 90 innings. In the Padres organization, the Brewers bumped him up to triple A, or excuse me, to double A first. And in, in four starts, he allowed just uh, just five earned runs in, in 20 innings. And in AAA, I mean, he held his own in, in five starts, 26 innings, had an ERA right around four and a half, struck out over a batter in an inning with about a two-to-one strikeout-to-walk rate, which is pretty solid for somebody who's still relatively young. I mean, he's only 23 in AAA first time and moving up that quickly. Small, I'm less optimistic about. I think small is a reliever long-term. I think the reason that people say Ashby maybe because Ashby was, was labeled as future reliever for much of the time coming up and small was labeled as future starter. I think part of that was because small doesn't throw as hard, but the reality is I think Ashby has the ability to throw strikes better than small does. And I think long-term he does too. Ashby has a better delivery than small does for throwing strikes. I mean, small is kind of funky. And of course there are funky guys who are good strike throwers, but a funky guy who isn't a good strike thrower, usually you, you think that might be causing some of it, but that also might take away his deception. If you change it, I'm sure the brewers are, are thinking about these things, but in a second go around at AAA this year, he had an ERA of similar to Gosser right around four and a half, but he, he walked, I think about five and a half per nine innings, which is just not going to play as a starter. And now he's, he's pretty advanced in age. He's going to be entering his age 26 season already next year. And he, he's made a couple starts in the big leagues. I think long-term he's maybe a, a two to three inning reliever at the most. I'd be surprised if he ever became a starter for a, for a, a pretty good ball club. Yeah, because that's the other thing I was going to say is uh, not to mention we're talking about end of the end of the season of next year in the rotation. By the way, the Brewers rotation for those of you who forgot includes Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer, Adrian Hauser. So it's not like we're talking about a bad rotation either. Sure, there as we saw this year, there'll be some injuries and we'll need some depth guys. But to say that I think one of those guys will be in the rotation by the end of the year, I'm going to say fiction as well. I I, I liked Gasser when I saw him. I wasn't aware of him before the trade, but when I saw him. Uh, and and his stuff, I really liked it. And I do think that the Brewers have a chance um, to see some value out of him. I uh, would agree that I think there's more upside in him than small at this point, given age and, and some of the things that you shared. But I, I still think, I, I'm not going to say the Brewers have a chance to win the hater trade, um, but I, I do think that the Brewers still have the chance to get value. Actually, we were talking about the outfielders. We didn't even mention Estuary Ruiz, throw him in the mix as well in outfield depth. So I, I'm, I'm still hopeful for those two guys. I 
in some ways feel like Brewers fans are kind of rooting for them not to do well, Gasser and Ruiz, because they don't want Stearns to be right. Like they, they like they want to like make sure that Stearns was wrong in trading Hater and be, be able to quantify it. And I think that the Brewers have a chance that Ruiz and or Gasser turn into something um, and and the trade doesn't look quite as bad. But again, we'll, I won't uh, labor on the Josh Hader trade anymore. David, as we close here today, uh, before we get to our trivia question, what is our stat of the day? We're talking about Harry Dalton versus David Stearns before. Dalton averaged 84 wins per full season. Stearns, 87 and a half. So Stearns with the better overall average in win total, but Stearns also presided over a shorter amount of time. So Dalton had to go through like kind of an extended rebuild in the the mid 80s from like 84 to 86. Stearns took over and after one year, they were they were pretty good again, although a good a good portion of that is due to the success of Stearns turning the Brewers around. So I thought it was interesting that, that Stearns had that high of a total. Kind of forget about that, but I'm sure part of that is also because the 2020 season, which didn't go well, doesn't factor into that number. So, David, why don't you close us off? Let's circle back to our trivia question. Today's trivia question is how many Brewers executives have spent longer with the Brewers than the seven years that David Stern spent with the team? Yeah, we may have spoiled this one already. We talked about, of course, Harry Dalton's long tenure with the Brewers from 78 to 91 and Doug Melvin, his tenure from 02 to 2015. So obviously aware of those two uh, with longer tenures than Stearns. I guess the question is, was there another player with, or excuse me, another um person in the organization and we also talked about Sal Bando so I'm going to I'm going to go number four on the list for David Stearns that is correct those three three names Harry Dalton Sal Bando and Doug Melvin each spending more time as the top executive than David Stearns uh, it'll be interesting to see how long a Matt Arnold stays in Milwaukee as the top executive he turned down offers to interview and be considered for a couple of other top baseball operations posts including in New York with the Mets, who when they were turned away from Stearns, they went to Arnold and saw if Arnold was, was going to be available. And the Brewers declined, allowing Arnold to interview for that position. Could it have been that they knew Stearns was, was thinking about um, resigning? It's possible. But I'm curious to see how that is. And I'm also curious to see if Stearns stays with the Brewers for a while. He has, I think, one year left on his contract. So Theoretically, he's only bound to the team for a year, but they also could let him interview for another spot if he wants to go elsewhere. Uh, one thing I'm looking forward to is is if he goes to New York, all the Apple jokes, like more bites of the Big Apple, or will the Big Apple have enough bites or, or something along those lines where they can play on it. The only problem is that the only the Milwaukee writers will probably be able to say that because none of the other fans will understand it in other fan bases. Yeah, that's a good point. Big Apple, of course. Uh, it, I am intrigued to see. And it doesn't seem like if I'm David Stearns that I want to go take over the Mets after the year they had last year, if that was even an option. Like, it, it certainly seems like the, the, the jump there would have made sense a year or two ago, more so than now. So, I don't know. At the same time, if you're David Stearns, do you want to go to another team and complete another rebuild, you know, that, that, that you did in 2015, 2016 with the Brewers? Um, I don't know. I don't know what you're looking for if you're David Stearns. And maybe... Like I said, maybe it's just more time away from the game and more time with family, whatever it might be. Um, we'll certainly certainly see. And 
we close the book on the David Stern's era. A lot to talk about. Um, like I said, one of the most influential non-baseball players in Milwaukee Brewers franchise history. And we, I know, I'm excited to see what Matt Arnold will bring to the Brewers. So, David, great talking with you today. I enjoyed the conversation on uh, looking back at, at the Stearns era. So with that, this is Peter and David Go signing off. Go Brewers.